Uh, hey, thanks for being here today. Um, I uh, appreciate your prayers this week. So I traveled to Tulsa and did a funeral for my sister's co-worker and best friend, Janice. She was 62 and had cancer. and So continue to pray for her family uh, and Heidi as well. Uh, I was picked up my Bible and I've like got all these funeral things that I've done in the last few years. And it's just like, it's tough. It's a tough deal. Um, so like Ryan said, to know that, uh, I was there and able to deliver the word of God and Jesus, Holy spirit to the family and to their friends and know that you guys back here were praying was a, was a huge deal for me, just to encourage me. Um, we are in the middle of, not in the middle, we're almost at the end of Ephesians. I just got, the, hopefully this week and next week. Uh, but the last part of this letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, you you can interpret it as behavior modification. Because he's he's really kind of trying to say, this is what it looks like. This is what it is. But you, you in this room, especially, especially if you, you know your identity in Jesus Christ, you can read between the lines here and see what the one common denominator of everything that he's instructing them about. Like, I'll go back two weeks ago where we were talking in chapter 5, verse 21. And he used the S word, submit. He's talking about submission, and he says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I hope that you got that two weeks ago. It says, submitting to one another. And then don't forget, in the fear of Christ. The fear is not like Halloween scared. The fear is this awe and respect of who Christ is. And so, therefore, we submit to one another. Look, you submit to me, and I submit to you. Michelle submits to me, and I submit to Michelle. My daughter, Chloe, submits to me, and I submit to my daughter. More recently in the past, in this last few weeks. Uh, but that, that's the whole idea. It's like we're, he, we're literally here to serve others, to serve one another. It's, it's about community. It's about building. It's about loving one another. That's all Jesus did. Jesus had all the thir- authority in heaven and on earth, and all he came to do was wash his disciples' feet. Talk about how his father worked through him that it wasn't about him. He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as he walked this earth, but he humbly submitted himself and died on the cross for us. And so for us to sit here and say that that word submit is something that I can't do, 
that's kind of like just putting it in his face. It's like he he did this, and that's really all Paul's saying right here. So last week he did the whole we did the whole submission as we get to the end of chapter five. It was talking about uh, wives submitting to uh, the husbands and the husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church. You get to chapter six, and we talk about parents and children. It says children. Obey your parents and the Lord because this is right. So here's the harmony in the home. The wife submits to the husband as unto Christ. This is the part where you read between the lines. As unto Christ. If it's not about Jesus and it's more about you and them, you're missing it. The wife submits to the husband as unto Christ. The husband loves his wife, even as Christ also loves the church. Read between the lines. It all has to do about Jesus. And the children obey in the Lord. Read between the lines. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about doing. It's about being in Christ. If you can figure that out, this whole thing changes right here. It all changes. He's talking about obeying, and we know that the word obeying literally means to listen, to pay attention. And if you're paying attention, most of the times it will cause you to have a response, to respond to that. And when he's talking about children here. He says, children, obey your parents. It's not a reference to a young age, but it's referring to those living in the same household. In today's society, they're not moving out as quick. They're living with the parents. And he's literally saying, he's literally saying, hey, if you live in the household, it doesn't matter what age you are. Your parents are the ones that you submit to. But then, again, don't forget, it says, in the Lord. You obey in the Lord. The ideal situation that we talk about in here is if you've got godly parents that know their identity and display a godly behavior. This that literally defines the sphere in which obedience would occur. In context, it's not required, it's not expected for a child to obey when the parental wishes lead to a sinful behavior. I thought about that this week. I should have even said that last week when we were talking about wives submitting to husbands. If it doesn't lead to uh, the leading of God, the leading of Christ, the leading of the Spirit, I don't think there's an expectation of submitting to that. It's not. The, the whole idea here is that it's as unto Christ. It's as Christ loved the church. It's in the Lord. It's all in that context. And then two, it says, honor your father and mother. I don't know if you've heard that before, 
But that's basically a one of the Ten Commandments, which was the law, which was given to the Jews, not to you. But it was the law, and so he's literally quoting that, and he says, which is the first commandment with a promise? Oh, wait, we haven't got there yet to that promise. But to honor. This is, this is really just respect and courtesy and even obedience. It's the position that comes from being placed in a, a God-given position. A child's response to their parents is typically directly reflective of how they respond to all relationships. Think about that for a second. How your kids respond to your parents will probably dictate how they respond to their future spouse, to their future kids. If they have a learned behavior as a child, it will be that they potentially struggle with in their flesh as an adult if it just carries on. And that's why he says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, be in the Lord, know your identity, know who you are. The only way to overcome that is through spiritual maturity and walking by the Spirit, to, to know and to walk through the painful times, through the good times. And then the promise that he's talking about is mentioned in verse 3. It says, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. I, I go back to the actual commandment, which is commandment number 5 in Exodus 20. It says, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So here, here's a commandment. Honor your father and mother and you're going to live long. You can interpret that as, oh, I'm going to have a long life just as long as I obey my parents. Well, he's saying this, the, if you disobey your parents, you're going to have to deal with logical consequences. And not necessarily the logical consequences that your parents give you, but just the logical consequences of disobeying your parents and not living a godly life. And many times that can lead to an early death. Uh, that's what it's saying. It's not promising that you're going to live longer or anything else. But if you, if you literally do as God's instructed, you face less logical negative consequences in your life. It's not a guarantee of longevity but a promise that your obedient life is less likely to bring death because of those logical negative consequences. And again, again, in the household, all the parties must be filled with the Spirit so the relationships can work as it was designed. It's the way God designed it. To raise my kids up knowing that the Spirit of God literally lives inside of them. It's not, about, it's not about teaching them commandments and behavior and things like that. It's teaching them that there's a spirit that lives inside them, that loves them, that cares about them, that qualifies them. And when they understand that, they have a desire to pursue that. And when they pursue that, all of a sudden they become obedient to the father. And then they're obedient to the parents. They're obedient to their siblings. They're obedient to their teachers. They're obedient to their employers. 
It's about knowing their identity. And then you get to the parental side. You move from the child to the parental side. It says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I know I've made my kids mad many times. Sometimes it was intentional. (laughs) That's partly my flesh. But many times, one's relationship with their earthly father is, is a direct reflection of the person's thoughts of their heavenly father, which can honestly be both good and bad. That, that's, that's really the thing that uh, I think impacts so many people is they look at their, heavenly, uh, their earthly father and they go, this is what my heavenly father's like. That's not true. That's not true. Can be. Can be. I think when we display the things of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, you're absolutely seeing the what the Heavenly Father's like. But there's times when we display our flesh, and you can't associate that with your Heavenly Father. It's why it's necessary, dads and even moms, for the truth to shape our perspective of God. It's not, one, it's not based on uh, performance-based acceptance. I don't accept, accept my kids for what they do. I accept my kids for who they are in Christ. I... I don't have to make sacrifices for them to make them feel special. I just treat them as they're my children that came from the Lord. And I I try not to ever condemn them for their person. I'll correct their behaviors and there will be tears and there will there will be logical consequences. I, I I believe that's our role as a parent is I, th- I think uh, parenting for me, one of the things that's most difficult is staying ahead of my kids and by saying like, look, hey, you have a choice. You can do this or you can do this. And if you do this, here's the consequences of what, of your choices. So being out ahead of them rather than coming from behind and, you know, they make a bad choice and then discipline after that. But it always comes back to me seeing them for who they are in Christ. Never shows favoritism. I love both of my kids the same. And I always try to make the decisions that will help them and not hinder them. I try. These are just simple parental things that line up with the Spirit of God. You know, when you leave the hospital with your firstborn, nobody gives you a manual for how to do that. They don't give you a a manual when they turn 13 either. They don't give you a manual when they're getting married either. 
but God has given me the role to bring them up, to nourish them toward maturity, to rear up, to train them, to disciple them. I, I try not to rescue my kids from their logical consequences. Uh, I think that everyone learns the hard way because you, you know you can, you can tell them how to, to behave and how to make the right choices and everything, but they're going to do their own thing. And that's their free will, and they're able to do that. And then I have to let them take their lumps for that because that's part of the learning process. But at the same time, I'm able to come behind them and show them grace and that they're loved and that they're cared for. So I still instruct. You can ask my daughter. She'll tell you, I still instruct. I still encourage. And I even still discipline. I just don't try to create this atmosphere where it causes them to be angry or upset with me. Uh, Parenting's tough. It's tough. I get it. I think part of the problem is is that we have expectations of what we want our kids to be, what we want them to look like, what we want them to do. And again, they get to make their own choices. And they don't make the exact choices that I would make. And I keep telling myself, it's okay. It's okay. Let them be. Let them be. And then... um, that's the only verse that he has there for the the fathers, the parents. He only says the fathers. He doesn't say the mothers. I wonder why that is. <laughs> and then verse 5, he, he changes. He says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Read between the lines. As you would Christ. You know, the history of the master-slave relationships for us is is really demented is really demented in accordance to what we read here in the scripture uh because of our american history and everything else it's we just have a a, a different concept of what the master slave is but before acts chapter 2 the romans even treated slaves as animals they really did they were cruel the Egyptians treated slaves as animals. There is a world history will show that. The but when he's writing this book, the in Ephesians, the master slave relationship had greatly changed at the time of the writing of Ephesians. And it was becoming widely accepted in society. I want to read to you uh what Kent Hughes says about Ephesians and the roles of the slaves and the masters. It says, the fact is, by the time of the Christian area and writing of this Ephesians, sweeping changes had been introduced which radically improved the treatment of slaves. Slaves under Roman law in the first century could generally count on eventually being set free. Very few ever reached old age as slaves. Slave owners were releasing slaves at such a rate that Augustus Caesar introduced legal restrictions to curb the trend. Despite this, 
inscriptions indicate that almost 50% of slaves were freed before the age of 30. What is more, while the slave remained his master's possession, he could own property, including other slaves, and completely controlled his own property so that he could invest and save to purchase his own freedom. We might also understand that being a slave did not indicate one's social class. Slaves regularly were accorded the social status of their owners. Regarding outward appearance, it was usually impossible to distinguish a slave from free persons. A slave could be a custodian, a salesman, or CEO. Many slaves lived separately from their owners. Finally, selling oneself into slavery was commonly used as means of obtaining Roman citizenship and gaining an entrance into society. Roman slavery in the first century was far more humane and civilized than the American-African slavery practiced in this country much later. This is a sobering and humbling fact. Slavery was never condemned in the New Testament and was even affirmed by Jesus through his teachings. So our concept of the master-slave thing is totally different than what we know from our history versus what's being referred to here in the Scripture by Paul and the church at Ephesus. It nowhere resembled what we think of when we heard the word slavery. The master-slave relationship is very similar to what we would consider the employer and the employee. Believers who know who they are have a huge impact on work society. I hear from so many of you in this room, oh, I work for a wonderful employer. They love Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, and we get together, and we even have devotions and pray and things like that. There's no doubt that those who are in Christ, that who are in the work world, have a great impact on their fellow employees. They're truly the ones who understand the role of submission. When even the employer can submit to the employee. They're filled with the Spirit, not like unbelievers, but they're filled with the Spirit. And they understand that there's an intentional order to things, but yet they see everybody as equal. Mutual submission is the goal in such relationships and not a dictatorship. And he says that fear and trembling, again, it's talking about respect and responsibility. And then verse 6, it says, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. In other words, not the eye service. I get that all the time as the chaplain. Uh, oh, here comes the chaplain, and the, the conversation in the room changes. <laughs> you know, here comes the pastor. Conversation changes. Most of the time they're just saying that in jest. But think about how you work even when the employer is not watching. There's four types of workers. Some employees like to just check off a list. I'm going to get done what I need to get done. The second one, some like to do things as if they're doing it for themselves, which is a little greater uh, assertion into the work that you're doing. The third one is others like to do it as if they're trying to impress their boss. 
And the fourth one is literally what Paul is saying. Do your work as if you're doing it for Jesus. Now, if you were to hire somebody with one of those four mentalities, which one would you hire? Obviously, you would probably pick the fourth. That if everything that I do is from my spirit, man, that's the employee that I'd want. I, I wouldn't want to have to constantly check up on my employees. And the thing is, is like you, you can literally like you can go to restaurants and you I hang out here at Pinheads and I, I, I look at the employees and I go, man, I'd hire that person in a heartbeat because there's just an attitude of spirit about them. Why they do the things that they do. In verse 7 it says, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. I guarantee you many times you will not be recognized for your work. You're not. People are going to realize everything that you do. You guys have no idea what I do. I have no idea what you do. I only work one day a week. I hear that you have no idea how many times. That's why it's important to have an attitude rendering your service to the Lord rather than to your employee. If I'm doing this for the Lord, and I'm all, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. It's all good. It's all about an attitude. He says, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Paul's literally saying right here that good deeds never go unnoticed by God. Again, it doesn't matter what my employer thinks as long as I'm doing it for the Lord. That's really all that matters. Even if the employer doesn't reward you, God will in some way. And I'm not talking about monetary. I'm I'm talking about it's, it's just good things that happen when you walk by the Spirit. You see things differently. You have a different perspective on life. And then the last verse that he says, and masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. There's no difference between the employer and and the employee when it comes to God viewing them. They're one and the same. As Christian masters of Paul's days interacted with the slaves, they were to display the same respect that was expected in return. A mutual relationship. Again, I'm going to say this, only employers with the Spirit of God in them will understand this concept. They'll understand that they're no better than the employee, that they are equal. That the same spirit that lives in them is the same spirit that lives in their believing employees. And then I'll say this, as Paul concludes this part of his letter, it comes back to submission is the key to relationships. 
as the body of Christ, we're called to a life of submission. Not, not weakness, but submission to one another. That I am no better than you. Just because I'm up here on a stage does not put me in a position that's better than you. We are one and the same. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Two amens? Did you, you realize that, right? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in your mortal bodies. There's nothing more powerful than that. When it comes to that, relationships change. They change. You can chase the flesh or you can chase Jesus. Lord, may um, you cause us to chase Jesus all the days of our life. And when you do that in us, when you cause that in us, the relationships in this room change. It's not about us, it's about you. And so I I trust you in this room. I know... uh, There's a lot of brokenness in this room today. And there's nothing that I can do to fix that. But you can. You can. So I pray for focus. I pray for uh, love. Pray for that to reign freely in this room. And I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.